Hello there, this is Benny. And this is Kyle. And you're listening to an all-new, all-different Doctor's Watcher. The podcast where I watch an all-new, all-different episode of a serial of Doctor Who and tell you all about it. Yeah, um, it's it's strange to think there are going to be no Daleks. I mean, as far as we know, <laughs> wouldn't that be great if we, like, we finally got done with that incredibly long Dalek serial and then it's like, and this next episode, written by Terry Nation. <laughs> Just go <laughs> the like something of the Daleks. Straight into a completely different Dalek serial. <laughs> uh, well, we know we have the Doctor and we know we have Steven. Um, we don't even have Sarah Kingdom, R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. So what have you been up to since I saw you last? Um, well, we were recording this a few days after the premiere of season four of Star Trek Lower Decks. Lower Decks, Lower Decks. Lower Decks. Which I quite enjoyed. I... They premiered two episodes on the same day, and I thought both of them were uh-huh. very entertaining and very funny. I agree. I am a big fan of Lower Decks. I'm a big fan of Tani Newsom and of Jack Quaid. And I'm also a big fan of all the people who write Lower Decks and all the other people who act on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a fan of those people... Kyle, uh, how do you feel about the ongoing <laughs> WGA and SAG strikes? Well, I feel like I still support the WGA and sag and I'm going to continue to support them. Very glad to hear it, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. My understanding is that animated shows are under some other contract so I guess as far as sag goes, they're not on strike. I'm not sure if that applies with the WGA or not, but there's obviously a lot of overlap between people who work on animated shows as voice actors and people who work on live-action shows as yeah. as full body and voice actors 3d actors <laughs> real space <laughs> actors yeah i mean you uh-huh. mentioned tony newsom and jack quaid and they're, they're both you know real life full body actors as well as voice actors not just in that episode of strange new worlds <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. where, where their characters show up but um in other shows as well like of course jack quaid does the boys um Tony Newsom's been on some stuff. I, I think that the show that I knew her from, which I hadn't actually watched, but I checked out the trailer for Space Force. I think that that ended. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this other than to say that um, they are members of uh, SAG after and we support them and love them. Yeah. Tony is also a member of WGA as well. That's true. Yeah, yeah. She just became the writer for uh, this upcoming Star Trek Starfleet Academy show. Yeah, which uh, is currently not being written. So <laughs> hopefully, you know, they they figure something out and they reach an agreement, and that show can actually happen. Because I'm looking forward to it. Speaking of writers, this serial. This is a, a new serial. I'll hold off on giving you the name of the serial for the moment. Interesting. Okay. 
But this entire serial was apparently written by John Lucarotti and then heavily edited by Donald Tosh. Interesting. Heavily edited. <laughs> uh, uh, hmm, very intriguing. So Lucarotti previously wrote Marco Polo and the Aztecs. Cool, cool. Both classics. Uh-huh. Um, both also <laughs> kind of problematic in ways, but uh, <laughs> all right. I mean, you did say it was heavily edited, so <laughs> we we don't know. I, I should say I don't know why it was heavily edited, but you never know. Maybe uh-huh. that factored into it. I guess we'll find out. Well, apparently, John Lucarotti was not happy with Donald Tosh's edits and rewrites. And what I read is that he didn't even really want his name to be on screen. But the BBC put it there anyway, apparently, probably. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've heard that there's this thing where um, sometimes if writers or directors are really unhappy with the way that uh, something that they made turned out... Um, because of the studio or editing or whatever, then they'll ask to have their name removed. And I guess that there's this mm-hmm. one name, which I don't know. I, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting to have to talk about this, but it's just, there's this name that doesn't really exist as a person, but is used by people as an alias if they want to take right. the name off things. And I believe there's a different name that tends to be used in the UK versus the US, but I'm not sure on that. Uh, <laughs> well, Donald um, Tosh. Uh, apparently this is the only serial that he's credited as a writer on, but he's been the script editor since the time meddler. Okay. Well, um, let's see what they came up with. So Kyle, given that this is a new serial, um, and yet we remain and will remain for a while in the time span of Doctor Who where a lot of these are missing... How did you watch it? So this one is another reconstruction. Alrighty, <laughs> I guess I guess I should have just you know led into it in a more straightforward way. But I had a feeling. Yeah, the the loose cannon production number I saw referred to in one place as LC sixteen and in another place as LC forty. Oh, so maybe they came back later and like redid yeah. parts of it. The place that listed it as 16 only went up to 39, so that's my guess, is maybe they did it once and then did it again later. So I'm honestly not sure whether I watched LC-16 or LC-40. Okay, well, uh, (laughs) cool. (laughs) Were there CG Daleks? Well, I guess if there are no Daleks, you can't ask CG Daleks. (laughs) Uh Dang it. Foiled by the lack of Daleks. I do want to mention that this serial was directed by Patty Russell, who was apparently the first female director to work on Doctor Who. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very cool. So, um, we didn't have much of a cliff dangler last time. We just kind of ended that last serial. I don't think, I don't remember, I don't recall there being much of an indication of what was coming up next, other than the, the doctor sort of briefly eulogizing 
the various companions and pseudo companions that they lost in the previous serial, which was a lot, <laughs> which was several, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. I don't think there was really an actual cliff dangler. We just kind of saw the TARDIS leave after the eulogizations. Yeah. Maybe they didn't even know like that. The writers didn't really have much idea of where they were going next. Yeah. Well, they went here to episode 22 of season three. I don't remember if we've said that or not yet. War yes. of God. War of God. That I remember because we were <laughs> doing bits on that. Uh-huh. Um, and, and also, you know, bits aside or, you know, PlayStation games aside, it's a very cool name. Yeah, it's a it's a nice evocative title. Yes, I dig it. So we start this episode on a street with a street urchin. Nice, nice. The, the, one of the natural habitats of an urchin. Uh-huh. <laughs> the street urchin runs away. And, you know, this is, remember, all in Reconstruction. But the street urchin runs away as we hear TARDIS materialization noises. And we see some flashing light above a gate in an arch doorway. Cool. And then a few moments later, Stephen and the doctor come out of the gate. So I guess the TARDIS like materialized behind the gate. That's kind of a weirdly um, money-saving measure. I guess they didn't <laughs> feel like setting up at the TARDIS prop uh, behind the gate. But uh-huh. uh, we, we do love this show. <laughs> the doctor deduces that they're in France by looking at a street sign and seeing that it's written in French. And that's the only possible conclusion to draw from that. Right, because uh, there are definitely no other parts of the world that speak French. Uh-huh. He's not entirely sure of the date, though. Well, by the look of those houses, I would say medieval. Although I suppose it might be as late as the 17th century. Yeah, some some houses stick around for a while. Yeah, it's true. They hide while somebody walks down the street and knocks on a nearby door and gets let inside. And after observing this from their hiding spot, the doctor has determined that it is the middle of the 16th century. Interesting. So what, 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 what war would that be, that, that, that this war of God that we're about to do? <laughs> uh-huh. Um, dang it, I don't remember my history. Is this yeah. the, the Thirty Years' War? I don't um, know my European history like yeah. at all. Pretty sure it's going to be Catholics against Protestants in some way, way shape, <laughs> or form. Uh-huh. It wasn't really clear to me like how the doctor determined the date. He's... You know, they just watch this guy enter the house or whatever. And then the doctor's like, oh, did you see that? And then he announces, like, when they are. So, maybe I don't know. Like the outfit or something? Either that or maybe, like, in the original version of this episode that's, you know, lost to BBC. Maybe there is, like, a big banner just inside of the house that says, welcome to the middle of the 16th century. Maybe. I mean, one of these seems a little more likely than the other one, but we'll never know because the episode uh-huh. is lost. 
there are no telesnaps of this serial, mm-hmm. thanks to you know producer John Wiles. Thanks, John. So there's very little original source material at all for it. Apparently, Loose Cannon had to do a lot to reconstruct it. Mm. Well, thank you, Loose Cannon, for doing what you could. Yeah, thanks, Loose Cannon. The Doctor decides, given that it's the middle of the 16th century and that they're in France, that he needs to go visit an apothecary in Paris named Preslan. Okay. I mean, I thought that maybe they would get a change of outfit or something, but uh, stopping by the apothecary and getting, getting some drugs, that's always fun, too. Uh-huh. Well, they actually they hide for a minute because a couple of people are now leaving the house that this guy entered before. It's the guy from earlier and another guy. And as you speculated earlier, these two guys are talking about how the Catholics here in Paris hate them, but they should like try to keep the peace anyway. Mm, yeah, that, that was definitely happening back then for, for a while. <laughs> uh-huh. Stephen and the doctor hear this, and of course now they know that they're in Paris. So they actually do head back to the TARDIS to change into more appropriate period clothing and love then it. go look for the doctor's apothecary. I, I, I love the TARDIS's wardrobe. Yeah. We cut over to a tavern where there's a whole group of people, including the two guys who left the house earlier. And they're having a drink. To Henry of Navarre, our Protestant prince. Henry Henry of Navarre. Oh, man, I feel like I should know this. Is that Hundred Years' War? I don't know. Uh, Sorry, listeners. (laughs) Somebody enters the tavern. This person suggests that they also drink. To his bride, our Catholic princess. But they don't really like that suggestion. (laughs) Read the room, buddy. (laughs) There's some bantering back and forth, and we realize that, you know, this group of guys in the tavern are all Huguenots. Cool. And the guy who just entered the tavern is Catholic. Gasp. And, yeah... If you know what I'm talking about, then you're better at European history than I am. (laughs) But the basic gist of it is that Catholics and Huguenots, who are Protestants, hated each other, and they had some wars about it in France in the 16th century. Okie doke. I always thought it was Huguenots. That's what I thought, too, but they kept saying Huguenot in the episode. I suspect they're saying it right. I'm sure (laughs) I had it wrong. (laughs) He's about to leave the tavern, but before he leaves, while the Huguenots are all distracted, the Catholic guy recruits the bartender, who's apparently also Catholic, to basically spy on the Huguenots for him. Nice. The doctor and Stephen arrive at the tavern as the Catholic guy leaves. The doctor is wearing this nice top hat, and he's got a big cape on. Amazing. Uh huh. Stephen also has a nice, big period appropriate cape, which he's wearing over sort of like a military uniform ish outfit. Sounds sexy. Not that we approve of the military, but uh, sometimes the uniforms, you know. Yeah. 
Especially also, like sixteenth uh, century. Like, yeah. I feel like what was his name? Bo Brimmel or something like that would approve. Oh yeah, yeah. He always <laughs> liked the doctor wearing capes. Yep, yep. The two of them are mid-conversation as they enter, and it sounds like the doctor wants Stephen to just wait at the TARDIS while the doctor goes to visit Preslan, but Stephen's not going to do that. He's just going to, like, go check out Paris for a bit. The doctor doesn't feel like sharing his drugs. Uh Uh-huh. When the doctor realizes that Stephen's not willing to just wait at the TARDIS... Then the doctor says that he won't go visit Preslan in that case. Like, he'll go with Stephen around Paris. Oh, but okay. Stephen, Stephen talks him into going to visit Preslan. He's like, you know, we came all the way here. Like, you'll be disappointed with yourself later if you don't do it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. So the doctor basically just tells Stephen to stay out of trouble, try not to talk to anyone, and then he gives him a few coins and heads out. So when he says trying not to talk to anyone, dude, I, I realize some of this might just be speculation because um, there may be no way of knowing. But do you think that's any sort of uh, temporal prime directive type situation or just like you don't know the time, you don't know the ways of these people, don't get yourself in trouble? My guess is that it's more of the second. Alrighty. Yeah. Also cool. Also compelling. As the doctor leaves the tavern, he kind of bumps into somebody in the doorway, someone who's entering the tavern. And this person that he bumps into apparently turns around and follows him instead of entering. Hmm. Interesting. Uh Uh-huh. How shifty does this person look? Do they have an eye patch? Uh, Well, as far as I could tell, they looked like... Uh, loose cannon action subtitle scrolling across the bottom of the screen. Ah, very, <laughs> very suspicious. Uh-huh. <laughs> Shady as hell, if you ask me. <laughs> Steven sees it happen, though, and he thinks it looks very suspicious. So he goes to follow, but the bartender's like, uh, are you going to pay for that wine? Oh, so. Well. Stephen gives him, like, one of the coins that the doctor left. And the bartender's like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. One of the Huguenots steps in to see what's going on, and the bartender explains. I asked for two shoes, and it gives me an EQ. I cannot change it, you coin. So is it, like, too much money? I wasn't sure if it was too much or if it's just, like, the wrong kind or what. Mm, Okay. But the Huguenot ends up paying for the wine and starts making friends with Stephen. Nice. We got the the Stigano ship uh, (laughs) Uh maybe forming. Stephen asks this guy for directions to the neighborhood that the doctor was headed to, Port San Martin. And the Huguenot's like, Certainly, but as a stranger to Paris, I think you'll have difficulty finding it. Uh, better, better have this guy take you. Uh-huh. Stephen wants to try anyway, but the Huguenot basically insists that Stephen stay here at the tavern for a bit, have a drink with him and his buddies, and later on, they'll go make sure Stephen's friend is okay. 
Cool, cool. I mean, I'm hoping that this guy's on the up and up, but I guess we'll find out. Mm-hmm. The doctor, meanwhile, has made it to Port San Martin and has found what he believes to be Preslan's laboratory. He knocks on the door a couple times and there's no answer, even though we see that there's a guy inside, like, packing it up. Hmm. The doctor doesn't see this. We, the viewers, see it. I mean, like, it's, it's past closing time. You know, you, you, mm-hmm. you, you can just come back tomorrow. The doctor tries the door. It's unlocked. So he just heads in. Of course he does because he's the doctor. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> he sees this guy and he starts talking to him. This guy confirms that it used to be Preslan's laboratory, but Preslan left Paris. Oh, Okay. The doctor's like, oh, that's too bad. I really wanted to talk to him about his scientific theories. Apparently, Presland had discovered germ theory. Although, oh, very cool. That's a good thing to know about. <laughs> uh-huh. I will note that I searched for Preslan online, and I do believe that he's fictional. Oh, interesting. But apparently, he discovered germ theory, and the doctor <laughs> wants to talk to him about some scientists in Germany who are working on inventing microscopes. So, Doctor Who is a historical show, except when it makes shit up. <laughs> I'm not sure whether they read the memo about it being... They probably read the memo about it being a children's show, but missed the memo about it being educational. I feel like all the memos are just, you know, very hit and miss on this show. Yeah, So this guy starts getting excited when he hears about these scientists in Germany who are inventing microscopes, you know, because then you can, like, see the germs. Yeah. And the doctor's like... So now, doesn't this encourage you to continue with your theories, Monsieur Preslan? No, so it is Preslan. And, yep, the guy confirms that he is actually Preslan, but one has to be very careful these days. Yeah, I, I can I can see that. When you when you got your uh, apothecary there, full of those delicious drugs, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, all those Catholics and/or Protestants, whoever <laughs> isn't, they're they're probably always after those yummy drugs. We cut back to the tavern, where the guy who made friends with Stephen is lightly scolding one of the other Huguenots for, like, questioning Stephen too hard or whatever. And Stephen's new friend is saying that Stephen, like, being from England, must be on the Huguenots' side since they're Protestants. Mm -hmm. And Stephen's like, oh, yeah, like, totally, totally, for sure, for sure. (laughs) Uh, yep. Just, uh, just maybe don't quiz him on uh-huh. uh, any recent events. <laughs> <laughs> they do ask him about where he's been traveling and he's like, well, I've been, I've been in Egypt. That is true. That's <laughs> one of the places he went. <laughs> uh-huh. Possibly the only one on earth. <laughs> <laughs> They're a bit surprised by this answer, but. Before they can question him any further, he insists on, like, being told the way to Port San Martin. He needs to go find his friend. And 
his new friend insists on at least accompanying him as far as the start of his journey. Very cool. Very cool. All right. This is turning into a cute little date. Mm-hmm. I hope. I mean, obviously not actually, but I hope that we can continue to pretend that it is. <laughs> Hey folks, isn't this a good podcast? If you like what you hear, let us know. You can do that on social media or by email or by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Another thing you can do if you like this show is let your friends know. Word of mouth is the best way for us to get new listeners. And now, back to the show. Elsewhere in the city, we see a teenage girl running and hiding from a bunch of guards. Hmm. And would you describe her as a spunky, plucky, um, resourceful, let's see, uh, (laughs) companion material by any chance? (laughs) Yeah, I would say several of those adjectives would apply. (laughs) We've got an opening. (laughs) We cut back to Stephen and his friend. At some point, I guess we learned that his friend's name is Nicholas. All right, hold on, hold on. That would, that would make it uh, <laughs> Stevelis. Stevelis. Either Stevelis Nick, or Nicolivan. Nicolivan. I think I like Stevelis. <laughs> yeah, I think I agree with that one. Stevelis. So. We cut back to Stevelis, just outside the tavern, and Nicholas is finishing up giving Stephen directions. Apparently, he was just going to accompany Stephen, like, outside the tavern and then send him on his way. Wow, yeah, yeah, that really was the start of his journey. (laughs) Uh (laughs) So, Nicholas heads back inside then the teenage girl that we saw earlier arrives and she bumps into Stephen before heading into the tavern herself, followed shortly by a guard that was chasing her or whatever. I'd say there's about an 80% chance that she just picked his pocket. <laughs> I might put that at 85. <laughs> so uh, one thing I was wondering, like when these, uh, when these French people speak English, presumably, are they doing it with like outrageous French accents so we can know that they're French or do they not even bother? <laughs> no, they're not bothering at all. They're doing like pure English accents. Oh, the, the miracle of whatever TARDIS translation uh-huh. technology is happening. <laughs> it's even translating their accents into like high class and like servant class accents. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's some good technology. So the, the story focus actually goes inside the tavern and the guard wants this girl that he's been chasing, obviously. Mm-hmm. He has orders to take her in for service to the abbot of Amboise. Cool. But she's not like immediately visible inside the tavern and the Huguenots won't turn her over. That's because she's plucky and resourceful. Mm-hmm. Nicholas and the guard almost draw swords over it nice. but 
the guard basically realizes that he's outnumbered and gives up and leaves. All righty. The Huguenots go back outside and get Stephen and like bring him back into the tavern. They're telling him like, you know, see how dangerous it is outside. You've got to stay here with us and party. Uh-huh. He's worried about the girl. You know, she obviously was in distress when she bumped into him and rushed into the tavern, followed by a guard, etc. Mm-hmm. But they tell him not to worry about her. She's just a servant. Yeah, we're definitely not going to see her again, and she will have <laughs> no more impact on this story. Uh-huh. Back with the doctor, Preslan is telling the doctor all about the abbot of Amboise, who hates scientists and he's moving to town as the Cardinal of Lorraine's right hand. Oh, dang. The doctor's like, yeah, those churchmen do be hating on those scientists. <laughs> some, things, uh, some things never change. Uh-huh. Prislan thinks things are going to get much worse after the abbot, like, actually arrives in town. We shall be hunted down. That man is far more dangerous than the Cardinal. Oh, dang. In the tavern, Stephen has clearly not taken the advice of not worrying about the girl to heart. <laughs> he, <laughs> he's still asking the Huguenots about her, like why she was frightened and that sort of thing. They're basically just like, don't know, don't care. There's a lot of fucked up shit going on in Paris these days. Mm. They see the girl, though, as she tries to kind of sneak out of the tavern. And so they stop her and actually ask her, like, why she was frightened. Mm -hmm. It takes a bit of pressure, a bit of questioning. They have to roll a few checks before she spills the beans. But she ends up revealing that she overheard the captain of the guard, who was the guy chasing her, and another guy talking about Vassy, saying that it'll happen again before the week was passed. And she says that her father died at Vassy. Oh, dang. The Huguenots all seem very concerned about this. They start pressing her for more information. Stephen's basically just like, what the fuck is Vassy? Oh, and, Stephen. Yeah, you uh -huh. got on your history if you're going to be traveling with the doctor. The Huguenots explain. Ten years ago at Vassy, a small town some miles south of Paris, a hundred Huguenots were slaughtered by the Catholics. Why? Because they were Huguenots. Dang. We cut to the fancy household that the servant girl, whose name is Anne, ran away from. A couple guys are discussing how they don't know why she ran away. She couldn't possibly have understood anything that she overheard them talking about because she's just a servant. <laughs> uh, these guys. Uh-huh. When it comes out that they mentioned Vassy, another guy's like, you fucking idiot, every Huguenot knows about Vassy. <laughs> and the guy who mentioned Vassy gets sent off to tell the abbot about it himself since it was oh, his man, mistake these guys are directly in league with the the abbot uh-huh they're bad news 
the other guys get sent out to keep looking for Anne, including like finding out if she has any relatives in the city, checking their houses, like go all out basically. Mm -hmm. Back at the tavern where Anne still is, they're trying to figure out what to do with her. They don't want to just like let her go in case the Catholics find her and find out what she told the Huguenots. Yeah. They basically decide that she can go work in the kitchen of this Huguenot admiral in town. And so they give her his address. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I, uh, I, I dig a good admiral. Uh-huh. Stephen is just like, you know, please, somebody just tell me, like, what the actual fuck how do I unlock the backstory dialogue node here? Yeah. I skipped the tutorial and now I'm questioning my choices. <laughs> uh-huh. Nicholas explains that the Huguenot prince, Henry of Navarre, just married the Catholic princess, Marguerite of France, yesterday. The marriage was arranged by the Queen Mother in the hope that it would heal the religious wound that's tearing France in two. But in the light of what that girl overheard, it looks as if the Catholics are plotting against Navarre's life. Dang, these Catholics, man, I tell you. Yeah, seriously. And uh, I, this is just a joke between me and Kyle, because uh, he knows that I grew up Catholic. So, <laughs> uh, before we get, like, you know, angry emails or something. Uh-huh. I wonder if we'll ever have a Doctor Who about Mormonism. Other than like <laughs> finding missing episodes hidden in the basement. I mean, that's all. That's also pretty good. <laughs> Nicholas decides that he'd better go talk to the admiral. So he leaves Stephen at the tavern. Stephen's like, "Cool, cool, no problem. My friend is supposed to be back here soon, anyway." And then we're just going to GTFO, basically. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, we are definitely not going to get caught up in all these goings-on and shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Mm, we never do. <laughs> we get a brief scene with Preslan where he pays a street urchin for showing the old man the way and not being seen. Oh, interesting. He's in league with the urchins, huh? Uh-huh. How far does this urchin network go? Does it end the city <laughs> limits or does it extend to this to the farm urchins? <laughs> you know, I think there's at least some cultural exchange between the groups of urchins, so Yeah. It's probably, yeah. you know, if you're in the city, it's probably more difficult. Like you have to pass a higher check to have influence on the farm urchins, but mm -hmm. it's still mm -hmm. possible. Yep. Your your urch skill. Mm -hmm. it'll, it allows you to urch so that you'll be <laughs> urchin. Urchin around town. <laughs> Let's keep going, Kyle. <laughs> so Prislan is kind of speaking to himself after the street urchin leaves, and he wishes the old man good luck. And then we cut back to Stephen, who's still waiting at the tavern, apparently, like, 
sometime later. Yeah, Stephen, I mean, I think you might have to uh, take matters into your own hands here, buddy. I know uh, people aren't guiding you by the hand through this adventure, but sometimes you just kind of got to make a decision and head out and hope you're moving in the right direction. Your person of action status might get questioned otherwise. You might get put (laughs) on probation. Oh, no. One of the guards from earlier arrives at the tavern and starts questioning the bartender who reveals to the guard that the servant girl, Anne, was sent to the house of Admiral de Coligny. The guard goes over to talk to Stephen. He tells him that it's almost time for curfew, so hopefully Stephen, like, has a place to stay and whatnot. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) Stephen tells him that he's just waiting for his friend, and they're going to leave tonight. But the guard's like, I hope he comes soon. Otherwise, you won't be able to leave. Dun, dun, dun. The guard pays the bartender to spy on who Stephen's friend is and then leaves. Man, this bartender's just spying for everybody. <laughs> Nicholas arrives. He sees that Stephen's still here at the tavern. And then the curfew bell starts to toll. The doctor obviously hasn't arrived yet. So Nicholas invites Stephen to come stay with him at oh, Admiral. Oh, man. Uh-huh. Hold on. Oh, and is there only one bed? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you, but I felt like I had to. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't, you know, given that it's a reconstruction of a serial with very little original source material remaining. Say I no think, more. <laughs> I think we can only assume that there's only one bed. Of course. So they're going to stay at Admiral de Coligny's house. Stephen, of course, accepts this invitation. Yeah, the GM's like, I'm just going to keep dropping hints that this is the, you got to go to the Admiral's house next. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. We cut over to the inside of the Abbot of Amboise's apartments. The guard from earlier is telling the Abbot about, you know, Anne, the runaway servant girl. Mm Mm-hmm. The abbot himself is just off screen, and he doesn't say anything, although we do hear him, like, banging his staff on the floor annoyedly as he learns about this whole servant girl fiasco. Interesting that we don't see him yet. wonder if he's going to be, like, a recognizable actor doing a a cameo. (laughs) Uh, Probably not. I don't don't know if they are doing those yet at this stage. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. This other guard enters the room and he reports the information that he's just learned that Anne is at Admiral de Coligny's house. And the abbot says, Fetch her tomorrow. Bring her to me. And as the camera cuts over to the abbot, we see that he not only sounds just like the doctor, but he looks just like him, too. <laughs> well, that's one way to get a cameo. <laughs> uh, it doesn't even increase the budget. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and then the words in the screen say... Would the words say, next episode, 
The Sea Beggar. <laughs> Alright, so we had a street urchin and a sea beggar. Uh, so these subclasses, you know, <laughs> they, they must have just released some expansion books for the the rule set. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. totally. Well, I mean, I feel like this is our first time period that, to me at least, uh, having gone through the American school system, um, doesn't feel like one of the more obvious time periods to set uh, show in because you know or, or mm-hmm. places per, you know, time periods and places because you know we had like Romans Marco Polo uh, ancient Egypt uh, that sort of thing but then like you know uh, Huguenots and Catholics in I don't know what this would be Renaissance uh, France late medieval yeah, France something like that yeah uh, well, it wouldn't have been one of my uh, guesses, so that's interesting. Yeah, I thought so too. Although I suppose, like, it's probably a lot more obvious from an English point of view than from an American point of view. Yeah, they were probably but, closer to it, like, literally. Yeah. But yeah, um, not something that would have occurred to me. Not the most thrilling episode uh, so far, to be honest. Uh, I think that the closest we got was someone, you know, threatening to to draw their sword um mm-hmm. we haven't had much action yet but but this abbot this abbot seems to be up to no good so at least, <laughs> at least we have that in terms of um compelling reasons to tune in again next week uh-huh. or uh, i guess for us it'll be two weeks on the doctor's watcher you know just when we think william hartnell might be taking some time off the <laughs> abbot pops up well, I will say, since I didn't mention it at the start of the episode, that this serial is known as either The Massacre. Oh, dang. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> or The Massacre of St. Bartholomew's Eve. Oh, man. That doesn't sound like fun. Yeah. Apparently, there's a bit of controversy about that title. Um, because the historic event that it's referencing is called the Massacre of St. Bartholomew. Interesting. Not the Massacre of St. Bartholomew's Eve. Huh. So, you know, some Doctor Who apologists are like, well, it's the title is referring to the, the night before the massacre. But that, wouldn't that be the Eve but, of the massacre, not the Massacre of the Eve? Yeah, this that's is, what you this think. This is confusing. <laughs> Also, when I said interesting, I, I, I should amend that to mildly interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Um, did you have any other notes? I think that was it. In that case, um, thank you, Kyle, for watching Doctor Who and telling me all about it. And thank you, Benny, for listening to me talk all about Doctor Who. And thank you, listeners, for listening to me listen to Kyle talk about Doctor Who. We'd also like to thank Circuit23 for the awesome theme song that he made for us. Uh, You can check him out on SoundCloud and get his latest album on Bandcamp. And uh, if you like our show, um, please feel free to email us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com. 
Indeed. And tell all your friends and go leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcasting platforms. Yes. And uh, pet your cats. Uh-huh. And what else do we say here? Uh, tune in in two <laughs> weeks for... Uh, what, what was the next massacre? Uh, the massacre is that's coming? Up? No, that's the serial. Oh, the, the next cereal. episode is is the sea beggar. The sea beggar, of course, of course. Tune in in two weeks for the sea beggar. Bye. Bye. just a servant. She couldn't have understood us. If she should remember what you said and should repeat it, she could put our friend on his guard. We didn't speak of him. Then what did you say to frighten the girl? Nothing. Servants don't run away from a house in fear for nothing. I think we mentioned Vassy and the celebrations here in Paris, but nothing that anyone could have made head or tail of. She made something of it. Vassy. That might have been it. That word alone is enough to put every Huguenot in Paris on his guard. I will go and look for her. You will not. You will wait here and report this to the abbot. It was your mistake. I'm sure he wanted to congratulate you himself.